Hello, friends, and welcome to the Bikes for Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick, and I am your host. And before we kick off today's episode, I would like to do something a little different. I'd like to tell you a story, and it's about me. And I hope that it adds uh, just some context to me and what I'm doing behind a freaking microphone, talking to Lael and Sofian and everybody else, really. The last episode that I released with Lael and Rue got a lot of attention. I was expecting it to get attention. I just wasn't quite ready for the amount of attention that it got. And with that, I'm sure that I have a lot of new listeners and people who have no idea who I am or why I'm here. And so I thought it might be worth just introducing myself real quick. I'd like to introduce myself by telling you about my friend, Brian. So many of you will know that my day job is a real estate agent. I have to work a real job so that I can afford the luxury of hosting a podcast. But that's another story. So Brian was a client of mine, probably started eight years ago. I sold him his first property. And he is the quintessential Texas redneck. He looks like he works outside all day. He does work outside all day. He drives a big truck. He talks like a redneck. He acts like a redneck. But Brian and I, despite our maybe outward differences, became very good friends. See, the thing about Brian is that you would never know by looking at him, but he comes from a really troubled background with his family. His brother is in prison. Sister has problems. Family is... Anyway, I won't go into his whole personal history. But he came from a hard life. And he, at that time in our friendship, had been struggling with crippling anxiety for many, many, many years. And it was to the point that he was at many different times considering suicide because even though, you know, he was trying everything, he was trying good drugs, bad drugs, alcohol, no alcohol, exercising, going to therapy. You know, he was, um, he was really an active participant in trying to figure out what was going on with him. And he was a very thoughtful and a very kind person. And as I got to know him, who he was as a person was extremely different than who I thought he was as a person whenever I first met him. And I think we all do that. I think we have a tendency, and I think we're kind of neurologically programmed to make quick and instinctual decisions. And I think that we can get a little caught up in those. Around that same time, I was also getting really big into listening to podcasts, became kind of, I don't know, obsessed, but really into them and not into them just from an entertainment standpoint, but into them in the way that I felt at that time. And I still do that the podcasting has the opportunity to fill a very vital role in our society. And that is simply through engaging in the art of conversation listening, discussing, talking, and not doing it with any agenda, 
not doing it to, you know, promote your own ideas necessarily, but to really just talk. And Brian and I got to the point where we were sharing many campfires and many beers together, and we're having these really deep conversations. And I told Brian, I was like, man, we should start a podcast with the whole idea being of if, if you looked at us and just like on paper, you wouldn't think that we would be friends. You wouldn't think that we'd have so much in common or that we would be having the types of conversations that we were having. And the whole idea was that, you know, let's show people that even though we have differences or may appear to have differences, we all have commonality. And the way to find that commonality is usually just through talking to somebody. And I do think it's important. I made a conscious effort to remove myself from engaging in online debates. That was a decision that I made four years ago whenever I started the podcast. And since then, I've done a pretty good job of staying off, getting into arguments on the internet. As a principle, I just don't think it is the best form of communication. I think it strips away so much of who people are and there's so much nuance and so much that's missing in those words on a screen that you're reading from a stranger that you've never met. And so this is all to say that at the core of what I'm doing, oh, and that podcast that I did with Brian was called Not Totally Inaccurate. We did record a couple episodes. Uh, you will never hear them. They were never released. You can't find them anywhere. And that is when I learned how hard it is to actually host a podcast and to have these kinds of conversations that I wanted to have. And so, you know, that is all to say that for people who don't know me, I came into podcasting from the perspective of, wanting to have conversations, to listen to people and meet people and hear from them and learn from them. And I hope that gathering those conversations, they go out into the world and that other people can benefit from them. And that really is my only motivation. I do love this community. I love the people in it. I don't love the way that we have handled some disagreements in the past couple years. And my only goal is to hopefully promote and elevate and give people an opportunity to share their stories and their thoughts and their perspectives. And it's been pretty rough uh, the last couple of weeks. I don't want to put words in their mouth, but you know, many people have been uh, concerned to come on the show and to talk out on this subject. And it's all because of the way that people are discussing it. And to me, that is one of the saddest and scariest parts of this whole situation is when people are afraid to share their voice, well, then we're not hearing them. And I think voices deserve to be heard. All right, well, story time is over. I hope you enjoyed story time with your host, Patrick, from the Bikes or Death podcast. And now I'd like to introduce today's guest, Sofian Sahili. 
He really doesn't need much of an introduction. He says on today's episode that Lael is clearly the most recognized and well-known bikepacker in the world. He's right. I would think that he's probably second. He's right up there. And not only is he his visibility important, but uh, Sofian is an important person in our sport. He's thoughtful, he's passionate, and he cares about this issue. And he reached out to me on Instagram and asked if he could come on. And so far, he's the only one who has has done that. And so, of course, I had him on. And actually, he doesn't know this, but he was on my list of people I wanted to reach out to. I had a list. I was going down it. And uh, we skipped a few people and, and went straight to Sophie on. But anyway, I appreciate him coming on because as I've learned it's hard for people to maybe express themselves, maybe feel comfortable coming to a public forum and having these kinds of conversations. So I appreciate Sofian coming on and sharing his thoughts on the recent AZT FKT controversy. And I hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. First, if you would like to support these efforts and help me quit my day job so I can focus on creating more and better content, you can support the show over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. You can sign up for as little as a dollar a month and get access to all kinds of just great, great features and bonuses and extras. Yeah, I said it. Extras. Today's episode is also brought to us by a brand new partner, Athletic Greens. I started using Athletic Greens because I was looking for a solution to balance out all the nasty and the bad food that I'm usually eating when I'm on a bikepacking trip. Um, we all know that we're just subject to whatever food is available on route, and oftentimes it's gas station food and it's not chock full of all the things that your body really needs. And so Athletic Greens has been a great resource for me to help supplement my diet and give my body the fuel and the energy that it needs to go out there and dominate some bikepacking trails. With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptions to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. And Athletic Greens isn't just good for you. They're also a good company. They are climate neutral certified and they purchase carbon credits that support old growth rainforests. And they also have donated over 1.2 million meals to kids just in 2020 alone. So if you're looking to step up your health game and maybe take some veggies on your next bikepacking trip or bikepacking race, check out Athletic Greens. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one year of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash bikes or death. Again, that is athletic greens forward slash bikes or death to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. 
All right, everybody, bills are paid. We can leave the lights on for one more week. So let's get into my episode with Sofian calling in all the way from the UK. But first, let's have my friend Miles Arbor kick it off with the Bikes or Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. It's been too long since I've had you on the podcast, that's for sure. Yeah. I'm glad I'm glad wow. you're uh back on. You know I messaged you a little while ago and wanted uh wanted to have you back on and then Lael got in some more controversy and so uh that became the priority. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I get to talk about this actually. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. Um are you cool to just jump in and start chatting? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I mean, just for context, um, for people who are listening, first off, I I put out on social media twice that if anybody wants to discuss, you know, the the controversy that's that's happening with Lale as it regards to media teams, um, not only now but in, you know in 2019 on the tour divide, I've been reaching out to people in the community that I know you know, people want to hear from that are important voices. And, you know, frankly, like there's a lot of people who are afraid of the backlash because of the way that, you know, this discussion, quote unquote, is being handled on the internet. And then I get a message from you and it literally said, hey, Patrick, what's your take on Lael's AZT FKT? I'd be happy to discuss on the podcast. And, you know, just... So people at home know, like, I have no idea. That that was the end of our conversation. I didn't yeah. answer you. Uh, you didn't share your thoughts. I have no idea what your thoughts are. I'm not coming into this conversation with any, you know, any kind of, like, agenda other than just talking, which is really all I, I want to do, you know? And I think, for me, that's been one of the overall, like, one of the larger things that has disappointed me is not that there is discussion going on. It's the way in which it it's being handled, you know? And so if you would like, I can start off by answering your question that you sent me on Instagram. What is my take? Yeah. What is your take? I'm, I'm, I'm actually also why I asked you, I mean, <laughs> I had this idea of, you know, coming on the podcast and, and telling what I think, but I was also curious to to know what you think. Yeah, so I mean, I would say like, first off, there's a saying I like, be quick to listen and slow to use your tongue. You know, and I think the, the biggest thing, that, like I said, that's bothered me is that, you know, especially if we're gonna, let's talk specifically about the AZT, FKT, you know, there was so many accusations and so much, uh, you know, just shit talking on the internet and Lael never weighed in. You know, there was an article that came out in the Radivist that said it was solo self-supported along those lines. But, you know, that's the Radivist. Th those are not Lael's words. Lael never chimed in. And without 
her saying anything without getting her perspective, there was all this stuff going on. And so, you know, for me, like, I don't have a big, uh, I don't have a horse in this race. I'm not an ultra endurance athlete. I don't, I'm not I'm never gonna have a media team on me personally. But the reason why I chose to like tackle this topic was because it's clear based on 2019 and now this, that we as a community, one, we have a problem. We're, we're divided on, you know, this issue. And two, we don't know how to talk about it, you know? And so I went into that conversation just open-minded the same way I will with this one. And so I would say I have two perspectives. One is the one I had before talking to Lael and then the one I have after talking to Lael. And after I talked to her, I walked away. Did you listen to the interview I did with her, by the way? Yeah, I did, obviously. I did, yeah. Okay. So my my takeaways were... One, it was an ITT. Um, she said she didn't know that there was that the new media rule uh, was in place, and she also said she doesn't care about the record, and that you know the route is there, and anybody can go ride it any way they want to. And so, you know, I feel like that really de-escalates a lot of the chatter on the internet because they're all worried about the record. But I feel like the impression I got from her is that she is mostly interested in documenting and inspiring people through her efforts. And the one way that we do that, or one way we do that, is through video, through documentation, through pictures and all this stuff. And and that seems to be her focus, you know? And I, I think that, yeah, I, I like that. I mean, I think there needs to be space for everybody to do whatever they want to do. And if she wants to go out and have a media crew and do the tour divide, the AZT or whatever, I think she should be able to. And if she doesn't care if there's an asterisk next to her name, I don't know why everybody else cares so much. I don't know. Those are my initial thoughts. Yeah. And I, I have to say, I agree actually. Um, like this is the, uh, this is my, my take as, uh, after I listened to, to the podcast that you did with Lauren Rue. Uh, where she stated that she actually doesn't really care about the record and that she agrees that, you know, since she she broke the new, no media rule that she wasn't aware of, well, then she can't get the record. And, she, and it seems uh, that she doesn't really care about it. So as you say, it, it kind of de-escalates uh, the way that, that things, uh, I think, well, it, it got it got bad. And actually, why I wanted to, to come on this podcast is um, I wanted to, to address this topic, uh, first off, for John Schilling. John Schilling is the, the, the race, race director of the ACT. Um, he's a volunteer. He makes no money on this. He works two jobs and whatever free time he has, he dedicates to the ACT. He is a passionate mountain biker, is a passionate trail builder, is a dedicated member of this community, well-respected in Arizona and in the States in general. And basically what happened is that um, he pretty much had no choice than to put an asterisk on this FKT because the rule is written down. So any self-respecting race director would be like, well, I wrote down this rule. Now I must enforce it. 
I mean, I don't see how you could do anything else. The rule is there. You pretty much have to enforce it now that it's there. So that's basically what he did. He didn't say, you know, that, well, I'm not even going to acknowledge last time. I'm not going to even, you know, publish it. It was like, all right, there's this time. There was the rule that was, you know, not respected. Um, I'm going to have to put an asterisk on this time. And I feel like it's, it was a very reasonable thing to do. It was a very diplomatic thing to do. And despite this, this diplomatic and reasonable approach, I talked to John Schilling and he told me I'm, I'm conning so much flack. You know, I'm getting insulted. People are, are, are calling me uh, misogynistic, chauvinistic. Um, and it's, it's completely uncalled for. And that's what I feel is the big problem in this controversy. And the big problem doesn't come from Lel. The problem comes from so-called supporters of Lel that are not aware of what the bikepacking community is, that are not uh, aware of what the ethos is, that probably have no idea who John Schilling is, and how much time and effort he puts in doing this route and organizing this race. I mean, I haven't raced it. I wish I wish one day I'll race it, but it's a long race. It's a really remote course. And it used to be 750 miles and now it's 127, 827 um, miles. So it means that he added 77 miles to this really remote route. It means that he probably took a lot on his, on, on his free time driving to these remote parts, then riding, then adding water detours for free. He had nothing to gain in doing this, nothing. He just like, besides working his two jobs, he went there and it was like, it was like all right, how can I make this race that I – inherited from Scott Morris, how can I make it better? You know, longer, more beautiful, maybe with more access to water. And there he is now, like he, he is now just being insulted by people he doesn't even know, by people that most likely are not even racers, are not even, you know, figures of this community. And this is, this is, outrageous like i i was i had a hunch that this was happening you know i, I myself was racing uh when uh lel um finished and um after uh I, yeah after i finished my race my girlfriend sent me a message asking me what's the what's the controversy with lel i'm like i have no idea then i dug in and i was like all right what's happening and then i the first thing i did is I messaged John Schilling. I was like, dude, how is it? How, how is, how are you handling this? And he's like, it's horrible. And I had a hunch that this was happening and it's, it's just outrageous. I mean, this is, this is really why I wanted to come on the podcast. It's because somebody needs to take a stance and, and be like, all right, there are people that are pillars of this community. People like John Schilling, people like Scott Morris, who used to, to um, organize the AZT people like, Hefe Branham of the Colorado Trail Race, Matt Lee of the Tour Divide, 
Even here in Europe, we have Alan Goldsmith of the Holland Trail 550. Um, we have these people that design routes, that organize races, that make no money. There's no profit in there. It's just their own time. And they invest so much in this community. And I feel we need to respect these people. We need to respect them a lot. We need to respect them even more than we respect racers. I mean, where would we be without the Tour Divide? Where would we be without CTR, AZTR? I mean, we wouldn't even, this sport would just not exist, you know? And this is not even a question of, of, of Lel. I mean, Lel, she did her thing. She was not aware that there was a rule. Then because of this rule, she got an asterisk. She's fine with it. All right, let's move on. But then just this, a part of this community, a part which actually I don't even know these people because the people that I know, and I know a lot of these people in this community, whether it's here in Europe, over there in the States, we just agree that this is just going too far and we, we are just losing it. Yeah. <clears throat> I'd like to, you know, echo what you're saying about John Schilling. And I, I've also been chatting with him. Um, I, I've been, I would like to have him on the podcast. He was, I, he was the next person that I was hoping to have on. Um, but you know, he, he's dealing with a lot and my heart goes out for him. Um, I know I also put on a race. I, I mean, I've never, created an 827 mile route, but I rode his, uh, Queens ransom route. That's like 230 miles up in that's outside of Phoenix, Arizona. After we got done, uh, miles Arbor and I, we went and ate dinner with them and got a chance to like, you know, just chat with them and get to know them. And what you said is a perfect description of John Schilling. He does this only out of the love of, of bike packing and the sport and the community and to attack him in that way is completely out of line. Where I, I would be interested to get your take is, you know, my my take is that I'm seeing the the discussion, the way people are handling this on both sides, whether you're saying, you know, fuck you, John, go Lale, or, you know, fuck you, Lale. Well, I mean, it's just like, it's just going both directions. And that's not a productive way to handle anything. It's, it's really, um, I think damaging to our community as a whole. And I, I, and that's why I want to talk about it. Cause if we can't talk about, it, we can't get over it. And it's just going to keep coming up again, you know? Yeah. Man, and I mean, there's, there's, you know, several questions that we need to address. Um, I, I listened to, to the podcast with Lel and that there's an interesting question. There is like, why is media, not allowed on the AZTR or on the Tour de Bain. Should it be allowed? That's a that's a debate that we could have as a community. That's not, I mean, the rule has been breached. The asterisk is here. Pretty much nothing we can do about it. I mean, it's yeah, and, and to put a, John doesn't care. I don't think John was being mean to Lael. She broke the rule. He did what he had to do as a race director and Lael doesn't care. Let's yeah, move exactly. on, you know, like yeah, exactly. all this shit talking is not good. We can start maybe as a community just like asking ourselves, should we have more media in these races? Um, it's a good question. But the thing is, Lel said, I'm doing this to inspire. 
people. I'm doing this to show people that and and that they can go out there and they can ride the the AZT. And that's awesome. And I feel like she really took this responsibility. Like she is by far the the most followed person in the sport. She's like the number one, the top rider, that she's the person that inspires the most people out there. Definitely. I mean it's not even it's not even close. So she took, she takes this power that she has and she's like, all right, I'm going to do this, 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 and this, and inspire people to go outside and to discover. She called uh, the AZT a treasure. And I 100% agree. I mean, I've not, I've not raced it, but I've, I've seen pictures and it looks absolutely stunning. And I wish that one day I will be able to race it. And well, she did it, you know, she went there, she documented, Rue documented it. And that was, it seemed it was the prime goal, you know, was to inspire. And that I feel like when she goes somewhere now and she has Rue documenting her rides, um, well, she gets people out there. She gets people on bikes. She gets women. She gets girls on bikes. And that's awesome. I mean, that's, that's pretty much the best thing you can do. And that's very positive. And then we can have this debate. It was like John Schilling never said that you can't, you know, document a ride on the AZT. You can definitely do it if you want. And then there's all right, the media rule. If we talk about uh, um, the the prior or still uh, FKT, the woman FKT older Chase. Who said the FKT last year? If I'm if I'm if I'm not mistaken, yeah, in the fall, I think. Yeah, she was like, "Well, we I don't think we had the same conditions for setting for you know our rights. I mean, Chase was by herself, no media, nothing, just doing her own ride, and yeah, well, did it with Rue and um, a couple of other dudes." Josh and Sean, if I'm not mistaken. And then you need to listen to Chase. And Chase is like, well, I feel since we didn't have the same conditions, then it's not the same, you know? And you can hear that. You can you can actually feel like, all right, maybe if Chase had had a crew with her significant other on the trail. Um, it would have motivated her in a, in a different way. And I'm not saying that, you know, Lel on your podcast, she said that it makes no difference to her. The fact yeah. if, if Rue's here, if she's not here, it's the same. And I, you know what? I believe her. I absolutely 100% believe her. I think that they're, you know, I think I said this on that podcast with Lael and Rue is that, you know, I think some people could get a benefit from that and other people it could be annoying and other people it could be a distracting. I think, you know, the way different people are going to interact with a media crew is going to be an individual type experience, you know? And so I agree. If she says, if she says it's not support to her, she doesn't feel supportive. I just take her at her word, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I do, I do as well. I 100% believe her when she says that it, it just doesn't change anything. And I mean, she's been doing this for so long. She's been doing this for, um, I don't know, seven, eight years. And, and, and Rue has documented so many of her rides that at some point you can, you can it just, you're just used to it. You know, it just, 
And I mean, also, I believe that when you've been, because I've been doing this for a long time too, and I've been doing this a lot, and I believe at some point you you, you build uh, uh, such mental toughness that there's very few things that can actually help you uh, uh, to boost, you know, your 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 strength um, or take you out of a hole when you're in a hole. So when she when Lel says doesn't change anything, you know what? I believe her. I take I take out had a word, but. We need a set of rules that applies to everyone. And the thing is, maybe, well, for well, it's not a boost, but maybe for someone else, it's going to be a boost. Maybe for someone else, having seeing a friendly face somewhere that is taking pictures, it's going to be like, all right, uh, I was feeling, you know, I was feeling down and this section seemed like it was never ending. And now I see... This friendly face, I see this this person that is in, in the media crew, and I don't know. It's it can it can just sometimes all you need to to just change the mood that you're in is just this little tiny thing, and then you're gonna be like your whole perspective is gonna change, you know. And so it means that even though having a media crew doesn't change anything for Lel, it could change, and it would change things for other people, which means that we need to address this question of having a media crew. Let me start, I agree, Let, let's get into this more and let's address it. Let's start with your own your own personal perspective. Yes, Lael is by far the most documented. You're, you're up there. I don't think you've ever had a media team only following you, but I I've know that actually. you have. Okay. Yeah. A couple so times, yeah. you're that, that's, that's the thing, right? A lot of people are like talking on the internet and they're not actually in those positions. Yeah. So you've been in those positions. You've been tired, cold, hungry, wet, and seen a media car at two in the morning or whatever. What is your personal perspective on that relationship? Is it good, bad? Does it help you? Does yeah, it not I mean, help I've you? Been in, I've been in both situations. I've been in races where there was like a media car or several media cars that were covering the race, like the whole race, and media cars that were, uh, uh, you know, tied to the organization. And I've been in a couple races where there was just, it was not an entire crew, but it was one person that was, you know, documenting my race. And I believe that it's, it's, um, and that's why I say I believe Lel when she says that it doesn't change anything because for me, it didn't change anything, you know? Um, I mean, the races that were documented, uh, both took place in Spain, was in the Pyrenees, when the other was in, uh, was Badlands in uh, Andalusia. Uh, these were not the most complicated races that I've ever, ever had to take part in. But yeah, I mean, the crew's there. Um, you pass by, you see them for about, I don't know, 10 seconds, 12 seconds, and then you just go on with your ride, you know? So it doesn't really change much for me as a person. I mean, that's my personal experience. Then you have maybe other races that are more difficult. Uh, and then you have this media car that covers the, the, the whole race that, that, that interacts with, well, they're not actually supposed to, to interact. You can interact with them, but they don't have to, or they don't have to talk to you. They don't want to. And, you know, you don't have to talk to them if you, if you don't want to, 
But yeah, I mean, sometimes I remember on the on the Atlas Mountain Race, on the Silk Road Mountain Race, it can go both ways. Sometimes I was just I was just really annoyed to see them because I was like fixing my seventh flat tire of the day. Well, maybe not the seventh, but the second one. And but it was like the seventh of the race. And you're like, dudes, you already have a thousand pictures of me fixing a flat tire. I think that now you can just leave me alone. And sometimes, yeah, it's 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 just like you're walking up a hill and they start shooting and you, you're like, oh, well, I'm walking. Maybe I could ride actually, you know, <laughs> so it can, it, you know, it's, it's not going to change the outcome of the race. It's not because, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna ride your bike for a couple hundred meters instead of walking that, but you, you need to acknowledge that it changes it changes a, a, a little. It changes thing. the environment. It's a. It is another factor that's inserted into it. That, yeah, it, it's going to have some kind of uh, impact. I would think, for for most people. Uh, let me ask you this question that um, gets brought up in regards to media cars. Not only the the physical or the you know mental emotional boost that you might get, but you know the other thing I keep reading is the safety net that a media car presents allowing you to go in, you know, push yourself further, go deeper, you know, and, and and push the limits more if you know that there is a car that'll just come and pick you up at any time. That is a very interesting question, actually. And this is why I wanted to also chime in about uh, 2019's Tour Divide and why it is having your own media crew on, on such an endeavor as the Tour Divide can be questionable. Um, so as you're aware, because we didn't uh, we did a podcast like right after this, uh, as you're aware, but maybe not all, all of your listeners are aware of, I was leaving the 2019 Tour Divide uh, right after Rush Mountain Lodge uh, when I climbed um, Sand Mountain, which is uh, 3,000 meters high. So I'm seeing, I'm thinking 9,000, 10,000 feet. Um, and I got caught in a snowstorm there and everything was just, it was just white out. It was dark, uh, temperature was, you know, around minus 10 degrees Celsius and I couldn't find my way. You know, my GPS track was not accurate enough. Um, and I, because of all I the turned, snow, yeah, you couldn't see your tracks. Yeah. Couldn't exactly. see the trail. Yeah. And, and I decided to, to wait it out in my sleeping bag, but I got too cold. And then I was like, all right, I'm done. This is not, this is not fun. And this is not safe. I'm just turning back and I'm, and I'm you know, giving up, dropping out. Um, I feel like I'm not equipped as, uh, uh, as far as my survival skills are, um, uh, to deal with this kind of extreme weather. And I decided to just to quit. And, you know, I was at peace with my decision and I'm still at peace with my decision. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm turning back and I'm going to brush my lodge. So, but let's say I, what would have happened if I had a, um, a media crew, a car following me? Then maybe, you know, it would have been like, I, I'm not sure this is the right way to go. But you know what? I'm going to try it. I'm going to try and go this way. And if things go really wrong, well, you know, have this, uh, this emergency button. And I know that the car is not, it's somewhere. It's not far. It's either Drush Mountain Lodge or Steamboat Springs. 
And if things go real bad, I'll feel, you know, safer knowing that there's people that know me and that are expecting me and that are following me and that are close, you know? So it can, it, it can have, it can have an impact on the choices that you're going to make when things go real bad, you know, you can be like, all right. The thing is I had no media crew. I was on my own. And I was like, okay, I'm, I, if I get lost, I'm in just deep shit. Because it's super cold, it's snowy. I'm not equipped to deal with this kind of weather, and I, I mean, even in terms of knowledge, I'm I'm probably you know gonna make bad decisions. And so I was like, all right, the only way that I know is safe is backwards, because I have my tracks that I can follow and go back to Bush Mountain Lodge. So here's the question: If you have a if you have a, your own media car, maybe you're gonna you're gonna make a, a different decision, and and that's another factor that we need to we need to take in consideration we ha- when we have this debate of should we allow uh media crews on on races such as Tour de Vibe. Yeah. I and the reason why this conversation is important is bigger than Lael. I think it's bigger than me and you. It's it's about, you know, really the future of the sport because I, I think it's plainly obvious uh, media, media coverage, access to athletes is only going to get better. You know, there's only going to be more as we get, you know, more professional riders that come into bikepacking. This issue is going to continue to come up. And I, I kind of, uh, you, and you alluded to this, but I, I feel like, um, again, just being a, a casual observer, uh, it does seem like there should be a, one set of rules that's adopted for all bikepacking races. You know, I mean, there's everything from a grand depart to an ITT to, you know, solo self-supported to, you know, Asterix media crew. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on, on having rules and, 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 and what kind of rules should we have maybe? I don't think it's doable. I don't think uh, uh, you, you talked about having no governing body in your in your uh, episode with Lel and Rue. Uh, I don't think it's possible. I don't think we can have, and I'm not sure if actually it's something that we want as a community. And to be honest with you, Patrick, I have I have no idea what I want for the future <laughs> of this sport. Because like, if you're as a fan, say I'm a fan and I'm watching a race. I'm all for coverage. I'm all for having, you know, the leaders having a, a camera put in front of their face and, and knowing what they're going through and just having images that I can put on the on the tracker. I mean, I've, you've seen, you're looking at these little dots on the, on the tracker and you're like, what are they going through? And I'm all for it as a fan, just like being, he's not moving. Why is he not moving? Can, can, the, can the media crew check on him like, is he sleeping? Does he have a mechanical stuff like that? I mean, we are just like watching dots. We have no information and we want more. We are fans. We want to know what's happening. And then you have this, you know, ethos of, of the tour de vibe, which is like, and I admire this shit. I'm like, this is like such a mythical race for me. Like people, we talk bikepacking all the time with all sorts of people obviously as I'm doing a lot of races and and you know a lot of people over in Europe have not done Tour Divide and I'm like this is the most awesome stuff that you can do because you do it 
you're like you feel like you're this great hero because you you know you're doing it fast and you're climbing on the podium and then you get to that border and no one's there and no one cares there's like a, a coke machine there's a border guard that thinks you're crazy and you get there and that's where trouble begins because you're in the you're in, you're fucking nowhere like this, you have to come back from this border because you can't go into Mexico or you're going to get killed. And I love this. I love this idea. <laughs> you're going to get killed. <laughs> yeah. I love this idea that you're, you know, doing something that is like so heroic and that it ends with just nothing, you know? Yeah. And I like that's uh, That's the, that's like the whole, that's the roots of this of this sport, you know. Oh, a hundred percent, and it's so romantic. It is. I mean, it's such a beautiful and romantic idea, but it, the sport is changing, and you know, it just it is, it is, th- and that's the that's the unfortunate and the fortunate part. I mean, it is growing. A lot more people are interested. With that, is going to be change, and again, as we grow as a community and as we face whatever challenges come up. I think we need to do a better job of like talking about them and figuring out, you know, a, a better way to do X, Y, or Z, whatever the challenge may be. In this, in this case, it's media crew. Um, but I, I'm with you, man. I think so many of us are are very attracted to that idea, right? I mean, uh, John Stamstead and was it '93 or whatever, going out there and be doing it, you know, with nothing, just going out and doing it with like a shitty bike and no one's there and nobody knows and nobody's cared, but he's only doing it because he wants to. I mean, that, that's just fucking cool. And you can't beat it. It's special, but you know, we are here, there are cameras, so (laughs) we got to figure out how to, the money is coming, the money is coming and you can't stop it. And the money is here. And, and I mean, I am a sponsor rider. I make my living doing backpacking races and trips. So I know the money is coming because I'm lucky that I get, you know, some of that money. And it's, it's, it's just the best thing in the world. Uh, it's just, I'm over the moon that I get paid to ride my bike wherever I want. It's like, I have, I have, could have never dreamed that this would happen. And now it's happening. And I love it. I mean, what can I say? Like it's, People think that it's the best job in the world, and it is. I, I, I'm not gonna <laughs> lie; it's it really is. Yeah. But yeah, I I really don't know what to think because I I'm I mean the thing is the money is coming. You can't stop the money. And then I'm like, all right, I have the money, and I know obviously other racers that are sponsor riders, and I know them well. I know them as you know competitors and friends. I know uh, uh, the athletes. I know the man and I'm like, all right, I'm not questioning these people for one second. I know these are top athletes, but I know their values. And I know despite the fact that we are now professionals, there will be no cheating. I feel that right now we are in a, at a point in bikepacking where the sponsor riders I have zero doubts, absolutely zero doubts about, about their integrity. The same that I have, I have no doubts about Lel's integrity. When when people say, "Well, the the media crew they help her," that's that's bullshit. That's bullshit. She would never. I mean, I don't know well. I don't know know Lel that well. We we chatted a little bit at Rush Mountain Lodge during the the 
the truth in, the, in, in 19. I just know that we have, you know, the, the same, you know, bike touring background that we're doing this for the same reason. We just love being outside. We just love being, we just love riding our bikes and saying that, that she cheated, saying that, you know, someone from, from her crew gave her cheesecake or stuff like that. That's just ridiculous. I mean, these people that are saying this is, they're just like, covering themselves in ridicule. I'm not, I shouldn't even address this, but I'm doing it. But the thing is, like, yeah, I mean, if the money comes and if people that are, you know, outside of bike packing right now and they see the money come in bike packing and they're like, I can make a buck doing this, you know, if I, uh, if I take PDs, if I, um, you know, know how not to sleep and stuff like that and then that's that's the that's the danger that we have when 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 a sport um gets you know we, when we start having professional athletes because it's one thing to do a race for for fame and glory it's another thing to do a race for i don't know five thousand ten thousand fifteen thousand dollars for a, a sponsor a, a sponsoring contract and this is what I mean, this is something that I'm afraid of, definitely. This is something that could happen, and I don't know what to do. I, I, honestly, and the same the same way that I don't know what we should do with the media. I, I, I hear what you're saying. I don't, I don't know what to do either, so I'm just talking. The only reason I like the idea of a governing body or a set of rules is because of what you're talking about, um, the future and, and what's coming and how this sport is evolving. Well, that's going to mean, you know, more organizations, more people with all kinds of motives that may want to come in and establish something. So I'm almost like, shouldn't we as a community, you know, be proactive and, and have these conversations and figure out you know, a way to address these types of concerns as a community now before, you know, outsiders, quote unquote, come in and, you know, do it for us, essentially, you know? I think that probably what's going to happen, and it's it it may not be a bad thing, is that we, we're going to have commercial events, you know, organizers that are professionals are doing this, and I'm not saying this in a bad way at all. I mean, I feel like some of these races are organized in a, just a top-notch fashion, just at the highest level. I'm I I've been lucky to race the the races of Nelson Trees, which is Atlas Mountain Race and Silver Mountain Race. These are absolutely amazing experiences, and I have no problem whatsoever with Nelson Trees making a living out of doing this. First off, it's a lot of work. Second, it's just like, is making people live uh, uh, a dream, you know? So I have no problem with this, but I also like the idea of having, you know, these historical races that are at the root of the sport that gave birth to the sport, Tour Divide, AZT, CTR, I like the idea of these races staying pure, you know, and keeping their origin, you know, their rules and be like, all right, we can, I mean, I can make a living 
out of this without racing Tour Divide and, and, and AZT and CTR, no problem. I can make a living out of this. So we can just keep these nonprofit races that are organized by volunteers and then have another, maybe another circuit with big races with a lot of media and this media is, is bringing the money. But I don't think we need to have a, like a uniform uh, professional bikepacking circuit or, and I mean, I, I like what you're saying. Do we really need a governing body when we have like, there's like basically a set of rules that is, that is very simple, solo, unsupported, no drafting, no outside, no outside assistance, no caching. Um, I mean, basically the rules that you have on, on the tour divide right now, you, you find them in uh, any, any self-respecting bikepacking race, I feel. And uh, just the, the prom, probably the only difference is the presence of a media crew, you know, but it's something that it's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I feel like a, a lot of people are uh, living the races in a very different manner uh, since the, the media crews are here and, and they get, you know, live updates and pictures and, uh, and Instagram stories. And we don't have to have, you know, like this uniform way of, of covering the races and racing them. And we can, you know, kind of keep the same situation that we have now. Um, but we need to, we need to just to respect this basic set of rules and we need to, to respect the fact that they were implemented to have a level playing field. And that's something that we haven't talked about yet, but the level playing field is very important and it's hard. It's hard. It's to very, hard. very hard. Very <laughs> hard. Do we have a level playing field when I am a professional and some other guy is going to show up at Tour Divide and he's taking, I don't know, three weeks of work and just racing on his, on his own money. He, he, I mean, I'm going to show up for Tour Divide this year and I'm going to, I'm going to come like a full eight days before the race, just, just for jet lag, you know, and that's a luxury that I can have because I'm a professional. And, but like, if you're just an amateur and a, a working man, you can't do that. You can't like take four weeks off work and then just, you know, get to Calgary a, a whole week or whole 10 days before, before Tour Divide. And so it's, it's, it's very hard to have a level playing field, but we need to do whatever we can to have one, you know? And that's why, that's why the, the, the media crew, like the personal, the one that is out there to follow one athlete, it's one thing that we, we need to question. We can maybe at some point start dreaming of a tour divide official media crew. Maybe it will happen someday. I'm not saying it's something that should happen. I'm not saying I want it to happen. Um, oh, buddy. I mean, at this point, we're not very far away from having drones following yeah. each individual. I mean, I don't know. I'm not advocating for that at all. But I'm just saying, I mean, I, the reason why we're talking about it is because it's going to keep coming up. You know, it's not going away. Yeah, but it's, yeah, the level playing field. And this is, this is I think, uh, 
this is what uh, Chase, the the uh, AZT FKT woman holder, uh, was trying to address on Instagram. She was like, "I feel like this is still my FKT because the the playing field was not level. We didn't have the same set of rules." And I can I feel like we should hear what she has to say. That you know, basically she's saying maybe if I had if I had you know, friend, friendly faces along the way, I would have pedaled faster. And maybe it's the case, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, no one's taking her FKT away, are they? I mean, she is no, the no, FKT. No, absolutely not. It's just, the, and, and again, I feel like it's, 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 may, it's sometimes useless to have this conversation because we are talking about trolls that are not, <laughs> that are not part of this community and that don't, they don't, their voice doesn't even count. And they're just like, yeah, uh, there's, you know, messing everything up when it sh there shouldn't be a controversy. You know, John Schilling said, all right, I'm sorry, there was this rule. This rule was breached. Um, I'm going to acknowledge that last time this is just going to be an asterisk just to say, all right, this, this FKT was done with media and that's it. And the problem is that now, as soon as you, as you, and, and this is why I think a, a lot of people were reluctant to speak up on this matter and, and, and nobody was willing to, to come and talk uh, on this podcast with you. Is that the problem? And, and this is one of the fear that I had also before speaking up is that I am a man. I am a man. And whatever I say, somebody can come back to me and say, well, you're saying this because you're a man and you feel threatened by the fact that there was women that are able to perform at your level. And you shouldn't even, you shouldn't even be talking about this because you're a man. But the thing is, the reason why I'm talking about this is like, as far as I know, you had this invitation, nobody answered. And I felt like I was like, all right. Somebody needs to stand up for John Chilling. Somebody, I mean, I, I, I have uh, uh, a following in this community. I, I, this is a very, very important part of my life. In this community, I owe this community a lot. And I feel like I, it was my responsibility and my duty to speak up and to be like, all right, we have rules and they're not meaningless and they are here for a reason. And I want to say, I mean, to whoever, whomever is listening to this and be like, you're just a dude that is jealous that, you know, a woman is getting much more attention than you. Well, you know what? I'm very happy with my status right now. I make a living out of bikepacking. I can be happier than what I'm right now. And I have a lot of friends, uh, women that I chatted with about this matter. Um, and like Simon Bailey, uh, Lauren Brownlee, uh, Zoe Schwedello, which is a, a French bikepacker. Uh, and they were like, yeah, I mean, you should go out there and you should, you know, tell it like you think, and you should tell it like, we are backing you up. We are women, but it's not a gender issue. It's a bikepacking issue. I mean, you can be a woman 
and still be like, all right, this asterisk is justified. You can be a woman and be like, all right, AZTR, no media. If you have media, great. I'm all for it, but then no FKT. Yeah, I think it's very simple. Um, and I really like what you said about each race remaining true to its origins, to the best of its ability. And um, and also, one thing I've talked about on the podcast is is one thing I'm excited about is a lot of different kinds of events, you know, uh, uh, different ways to ride your bike and go outside and push yourself and all that kind of stuff. And that's diversity. That's that's what that is. Is different opportunities depending on uh, what you personally want to do. May, maybe your personal objective is to go do the AZT without any anybody knowing it. I mean, we know um, Alexander Houchin often signs up. Nobody knows she's signed up under a pseudonym, and she gets done. And you might you'll you'll you maybe hear something about it. you know. I mean, that's and that's awesome. You know. But I, you know, I've also been the benefactor, and I think the community has been of seeing films and seeing documentation of races and being a fan of it, wanting to see. And so, if somebody wants to go out there and do it, I'm all for it. And again, it's really worth pointing out, like, you know, the people involved in this, John Schilling and Lale, are fine with with the rules, and 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 nobody's 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 fighting. Nobody is, the only people who are fighting aren't even involved in the conversation, um, really, you know? Uh, so it's been, it's been kind of interesting to, uh, to see. And I, I'm, I just hope that, first of all, I don't think that, um, I don't think you've said anything controversial, to be honest. Like, I don't think you come across that way at all. I hope the way you come across and the way I'm reading it is that you're a person that's thoughtful, you're involved in the community, you care, and you want to, you know, just talk. Like, I don't feel like you're pushing some, like, really extreme agenda or anything. I mean, just like, oh, this is my perspective. And and that's that's all we can really be held accountable to is, like, our own viewpoints, our experiences in life. And, you know, I, I think, I don't know. It's a scary place on the internet. This was my first time to be like, um, kind of caught up in in this kind of controversy, and people are you know talking about me directly, and um, you know it is it is hard. I guess I've personally, for anyone listening that has continued the conversation on the internet after I released the one with Lale, I I just stopped going and reading everything because, like, at some point I have to be a, a steward of my own like mental health and like consuming every nasty thing or ugly thing somebody wants to say about you isn't really great. And yeah. I, I kind of like to try to keep my own voice, you know, like I don't want to be too influenced by what people are saying. I want to be able to just come into any scenario and like have an open and honest and thoughtful conversation without my own like biases, you know, coming into play. Um, which is hard for anyone to do, but I do try to kind of stay in my own lane. So I, I appreciate, uh, you coming on and, uh, and talking about it. I mean, I, I do have some other questions about you as a bike racer and some stuff yeah. like that. Do you want to, could we move on or is there anything else that we need to say about? Sure. We can move on. I, I, I think I've, I've made my point, which is basically please, please, please respect the volunteer uh, race directors respect their 
choices, respect their rules, respect their work, most of them, and respect them as the kind human beings that they are. And, and yeah, they have a set of rules and they have just no choice then to enforce them. That was pretty much the, the, the only, the only point that I wanted to make. And then, yeah, I want to just, it was also interesting to, to, you know, debate about the, the, the media crew, how it can impact and affect someone's ride and, and the future of backpacking. If we should, if we should, if we should, you know, envision something different or if we, if, if it could just stay the same and, yeah, I feel like if I want if I want to say like one last thing is I hope that this American bikepacking circuit that is free for anyone to to race that is devoid of any prize and any media attention uh, I I do hope that it's actually going to stay this way and if you want to be a professional backpacker there's going to be a ton of races that you, can, that you can do that are high profile, that are going to uh, get you a lot of attention. And, the, and if you're successful and if you're a good human being, then you're going to be able uh, probably to get sponsors and, and, and be, you know, make a living like it happened to me. Uh, I have won the Tour de Vive and won the, the AZT or, or the CTR, and I can make a living with, without, you know, uh, uh, these wins. So we could actually leave these races alone, leave these races with their the, the ethos that they have had since the beginning and the ethos that gave birth to this sport. And we can just, you know, let them be and then have tons of other races where there's media with this coverage and there are that people are going to get interested in and and this community is going to keep growing and that's the beautiful thing is that people are going to going to keep you know buying bikes going out there strapping bags to their bikes travel discover the world become better people by opening up their minds by traveling because that's what happens when you get outside of your house when you meet people that are from far away and you start to understand a lot of different things then you can become a better person and I feel that that's what's going to keep happening thanks to bikepacking because bikepacking is a beautiful thing. And I feel like people like Lel and, and hopefully like myself, we're going to keep inspiring people just to go outside and, and just ride their bikes and enjoy the, the, the treasure like AZT or, or Silk Road Mountain Race or Atlas Mountain Race. And that's pretty much everything that I hope is that we're going to keep going and when we need, we're going to be able to have a, a debate about what the sport should be as a community, but it needs to be done in a way that is peaceful and that is thoughtful and that is just intelligent. I agree. And I appreciate you adding your own uh, thoughtful comments to the discussion. I think hopefully one good thing that comes out of this is, you know, hopefully like, hopefully this podcast and the, you know, these podcasts or just the discussion as a whole will just kind of like lay to rest. Okay. If there's a rule that says no media and you have media, you're going to get an asterisk and you have to be okay with that. And yeah. you know, it's fine. Like, I mean, I, I, 
I, I, that's where I would, you know, have an issue is like, if they were like, oh, you can't do it at all. I, I, I personally think you should be able to go do it. If you want a media crew, you get an asterisk and and that's fine, you know, and that's up to the race director. You know it going in or you should know it going in uh, yeah. if you read the rules <laughs> uh, or you might find out during the race. <laughs> Either way. I mean, yeah, you can't really can't really debate it. But yeah, thanks, buddy. All right. So let's talk about you. We're going to cram some stuff in real quick. Um, your most recent event. The Desertus Bicus. I love the yeah, name. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously, I'm in America. So, what is the Desertus Bicus? So, it was uh, a race through Spain, um, four checkpoints, uh, each and every one of them in a desertic part of Spain. Uh, free route, mostly tarmac, but the checkpoints were actually gravel. So, that was a little bit of a twist. Um, and yeah, what happened is that it's, it was like an early season race for me. I was not, it was, it was not a major, uh, objective in my, in my season. I, I was willing to go there to have fun, uh, race 24 hours, had no fun at all. Uh, just, just flat, flat roads, um, head crosswind or headwind really strong, Cold, rainy, boring, not particularly uh, uh, beautiful in terms of landscape. And I was like, this is not what I signed up for. This is not my kind of fun. <laughs> and after 24 hours, I, uh, I stopped in the hotel, um, sit down for a steak dinner, then grab eight hours of sleep. And I was like, I'm, I'm just done racing. I'm just gonna, I'm just going to ride. Instead of race in this way, uh, I'm just gonna I'm I'm gonna have a better chance of uh, enjoying myself. So slept eight hours, woke up with the sun, went out. Beautiful day in Spain. It was not windy at all. Um, scenery got much better, mountains, and I was like, yeah, now I'm having fun. And as as I was having fun, I was riding faster. As I was riding faster, I was catching people, and then I got caught up in this competitive thing again and i just get riding straight on to the finish for about 36 hours and i ended up in second position so that was fun <laughs> yeah i read that online i would i mean two things stood out to me one is that you slept and you're well known for going yeah. you know several days without sleeping it's re really i think one of the things you're known for is as a strength of yours and so the fact that you slept for eight hours on a race was I, I got a little chuckle out of it, to be honest. <laughs> uh, and, and, but the kind of badass part about it is that you like slept eight hours. You still came back and passed a bunch of people and got second place. I mean, that's pretty wild. That was a fun thing to do. I have to say, I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah. do you think you might sleep more? Uh, was that a, like a, Absolutely, yeah, like uh, absolutely not. <laughs> when it's gonna, when it's gonna matter, when it's gonna be things that are really important in terms of, of, of objective in, in my season, yeah, I'm gonna be, uh, you know, much more focused, and I'm not gonna allow allow, allow myself to sit down for a steak dinner and and, and yeah. then uh, shower for 20 minutes and then uh, have eight hours of sleep. This is, this is not gonna happen in uh, on tour de There's no way it's gonna happen. 
Yeah, I didn't think so. Um, one of my questions was that if you're a full-time uh, bike packer now, and you've answered that through the interview, I think last time we spoke, you were still doing uh, bike messenger. Yeah, I've been a full-time bikepacker for a year and a half now. I started in uh, 2021, the beginning of 2021, uh, where I'm, I'm lucky enough to have uh, have a few brands supporting me uh, and allowing me just to focus on on, on bike riding, uh, which is you know training, traveling, racing, and um, yeah, as I told you, it's just a, it's just a dream come true. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, congratulations. I mean. Yeah, I I personally am excited whenever I see like you and Lael and you know people who are finding a way to get companies to just help them live out your dreams. You know, I know, you know, getting money involved kind of makes things you know money makes things funny. I like to say, um, but you know, you still have your own personal integrity, right? Like you can still choose which brands you want to work with and represent. I'm assuming they're not telling you where to go race and when to go race. I mean, you get to like make your own schedule and I mean, is that kind of how it is? You just get to pursue the things that make you the most happiness. Basically I just, I just keep them informed of um, when and where I'm going to race. I mean, they're any, in any case they're confident that I'm going to race because you know, I do it a lot and I've been doing a lot for a long time now. So it's not really an issue for them. I mean, they know that uh, by supporting me, they're going to support someone that just uh, goes out and races uh, not once a year, but four or five times a year. And even when I'm not racing, I'm just like I, I uh, for example, in uh, February and March, I did a bike packing trip in uh, Colombia. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm just always out and about riding my bike whether I'm racing or, or just bikepacking. So I'm always in a position of, of creating content and, and just showcasing the, the products of the brands that are supporting me. And obviously, yeah, it's, it, it is uh, um, important to keep uh, your integrity as a, a, a sponsored rider. Um, I'm not saying it's easy, but um it's yeah, it's something that I find is really important. And um, I was actually a little bit reluctant to 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 speak uh, my mind on, on the subject of you know bikepacking and, and why it should you know remain the way it is. Uh, because you know it's kind of a paradox that I make money with bikepacking and then I'm like, I want you know, money to stay out of certain races. Uh, it's just, it's just, you know, something that happened over time. It's kind of difficult to, to know, um, how to deal with it. Um, it's, it's, uh, sometimes I, I, I think about when I was just an amateur, when I was just a bike messenger saving up to, to book a flight to Calgary and then race the Tour de Vie and then, go back home and, and, and work again as a bike messenger and the, and the purity that you had as a racer and the, the integrity that was really easy to maintain. Um, and I think back of these days and even though I'm really, really happy of, of, you know, being a professional bike packer, I'm like, yeah, these were, yeah, these were fairly interesting days. 
and and you could yeah pretty much say anything you wanted <laughs> at that time <laughs> uh which is a bit more uh uh i mean i need to watch uh watch uh watch what i say now that i'm a a, a public figure a public person but <laughs> i try to i try to use i try to use uh, this uh, status that i have acquired over time uh, uh for the better for uh, um you know conveying positive things about you know bikepacking and just bikes and 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 making bikepacking just inclusive and not even just bikepacking but just riding bikes um i feel like you know when you get a certain status in the community you have uh, responsibility you have duties uh because you're not you don't get there by yourself you know it's like you're not alone on the top of a mountain you know you just you just want person among a community of thousands and the reason that you have this status is that the community gave it to you you know so you kind of owe uh i feel like i owe the community uh to use the 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 status that they gave me for the better you know to 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 speak up when it when it is needed and and just to be exemplary and this is also one thing that i want that i i i should add about um about bikepacking about the the figures of bikepacking is that when you're uh, at the top when you're at the the highest level and when you're under the scrutiny of pretty much the whole community you 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 owe yourself and you owe the sport to be um exemplary and you need to to act in a way that will promote um bikepacking as as the positive and inclusive thing that it is yeah yeah you come in it from a really important um like direction kind of like you didn't come in as a tour to france sponsored rider with lots of money and you know all the uh, like a huge team you know like you said you came from bike touring a love of cycling a love for riding your bike very long way and you've done this a long 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 time without any support and so you're an important part of the community you represent um i think you know that that section that group of bike packers that wants to keep that ethos of sol solo self-supported and the beauty of what that is and what makes it beautiful is how you know how challenging it is and and you really it is just you and whenever it's just you and you can get to the finish line and there's nobody there and you know you did it that's it's it's a selfish thing you know you get to um uh yeah you get to like experience all that and it it, it can be a little bit more meaningful on the flip side whenever you have media you get to share it and inspire a bunch of people <laughs> but you are uh, i mean that but that you know for people who may not know you that that's why i think you are you do have a voice you do have a seat at the table it's not because you have sponsors the sponsors aren't what gave you a a voice uh, you know you you've been an important member of the community for a long time and i was talking to you before you ever had sponsors it has nothing to do with it. i didn't even know you were i know you had some but i didn't know exactly what your you know 
level of, of whatever, you know, sponsorship is. Um, so, you know, one thing that's interesting about you is that you talk openly about kind of like putting on a show for the dot watchers. Um, do you like consider yourself as like an entertainer or just an athlete and you want people to, to get excited to watch bike racing? Like what, what is, what is your motivation? Or maybe that's just who you are naturally. I am, uh, I do consider myself an entertainer and, and uh, the reason I race is not to put on a show for sure. But when I race, if I can't put on a show, I will do it. I like to do it. I like to know that the dot watchers are having a kick watching me race. And yeah, definitely. Like when I was racing the Zodas bikers and I was doing the Pac-Man, just, I, I think I started from, from 15th position and, and caught pretty much everyone except for the winner. Um, I was having I love that Pac-Man, by the way. I've never heard that before. The Pac-Man position going around gobbling up everybody. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, I, I certainly was thinking of the dot watchers that time. I mean, I, I love it. I just love to know that the, the, um, the dot watchers are watching the race and, and yeah, whenever I can't put on a show by catching people, I tried to put on a show diff- like uh, differently. Like, yeah, whenever I was uh, not sleeping on Tour Divide 2019 and everybody was like, when is he going to stop? I mean, it was, it was, just, it's just awesome to know that you're entertaining people. And I mean, that's just the way I am. That's the way I am. I like to. It's fun. You have, you, you, you enjoy it. It's a, it's part of the fun for you. I absolutely do enjoy it. And through my Instagram stories as well. I mean, I love to have to, I love to have this interaction with the, with the dot watchers, with the communities. I love even just the idea of, because that's something that you don't really see in sports, the idea of someone being at the top level and just like wanting to be funny, you know? Or sing it, yeah, sing a song. Yeah. <laughs> Lyle Richie. <laughs> I'm doing my best at winning this race, but let's have fun together, you know? It's just bike, it's just bike riding. Don't take it too seriously. I'm, um, I mean, in a way, it's the most important thing for me right now. It's that, and I take it really seriously. But taking it seriously doesn't mean that, you know, I should not have fun. And I'm having fun when I'm racing, and I want people to have fun with me. And yeah, that's that's why I do it. And I get, I, you know, I get my kicks out of doing it. Yeah. Well, it's entertaining for us. So yeah. We, we love it as dot watchers because you're right. I mean, what sport are you going to like be getting live, you know, semi live updates through Instagram um, about, you know, whatever's going on, whatever's in their head. And it, it's fun whenever you're like, OK, so we're watching Sofian and he's like, you know, demolishing a race or maybe he's in second place and he's chasing and you're envisioning somebody like just grueling and rah, rah, rah. And then you like hop on your Instagram and you're like singing a Lyle Richie song or telling a joke or whatever. And you're like, dude, this guy is just having fun, man. I mean, you can do both things. And uh, I mean, honestly, and that's one thing that attracts me to Lael is like, I, I love, I love positivity. I love p- positive people. And especially if like you, you can do something very, very hard and still, you know, have fun and, and be there for the right reasons and enjoy it. I, I, I'm really attracted to that. Um, you know, 
type of uh, racing it, you know, but everybody can do it however they want to. Yeah, sure. How do you decide what events you're going to do? So this year I'm going to do Tour Divide uh, because, you know, that's last time I did it was a failure. I dropped out, so I need to set the record straight. I (laughs) I was wanting to do it um a couple years ago as well as last year but you know covid was there so i've been waiting since uh 2019 to do it so it was not really a question like i knew that as soon as it was going to happen i was going to do it then i'm going to do silk road mountain race again because it just blew my mind last year i was like wow this is like the ultimate race the ultimate challenge and i'm like i've been obsessed with it since i finished it and and i'm like i want to go back because it's just so amazing. And then I'm going to do Rhino Run. One, one second. On uh, Silk Road, um, for people listening, you wrote on your, your blog, your, what, what, what's your website? Sofian Sihely? How do you yeah. say your last name? Sofian Sihely. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. But on your, uh, yeah, so on your blog, you have, I don't know, a, a long, uh, it's like nine posts or something like that. It's a very uh, long recap. Yeah. A long recap, but it's very good. And it, uh, you're also a good, you articulate yourself well through writing. Your personality comes through. And so I just wanted to point people there because you put a lot of time and, um, putting all your thoughts down and like walking us through like your race. And yeah, for somebody who's interested in what is it like to be, uh, you know, an ultra endurance athlete, that's a, that's a great, uh, little piece you put, put together. Yeah, sure. Like if you enjoy reading recaps of, of races, you should definitely go to, to my blog, which is sofiansaili.com. And, and then, yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll find it there. It's, it's fairly long, but, uh, I think many people enjoyed it actually. Um, and yeah, and then towards the end of the, uh, towards the end of the year, I'm gonna, I signed up for Rhino Run, which is a 2,800 kilometer race, uh, through South Africa and Namibia. And I had my eye on this for a couple of years. Uh, first edition was supposed to be in 2020. Uh, obviously COVID again happened and, uh, first edition is going to be, uh, this year. And it's, it's, it's just like. Basically, how I choose my races is I want something that is uh, scenic and epic. And the further, the better. So, yeah, when you have things like Silk Road or Rhino Run or Tordavai, I mean, it's, it's off-road, it's long, it's in remote places. Um, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for uh, events where I know I'm going to be on empty roads for days on end. and that it's gonna be it's gonna be hard, but it's it's most of all gonna be beautiful. So I would assume that you consider one of your strengths, like the longer it goes, the better your odds are. Is that true? And is that a factor? It sounds like that's kind of a factor. You're you're looking for events that you can also excel at. Yeah, definitely. I feel like um, shorter events, events that are around you know, two or three days, like uh, uh, Badlands in Spain, for example. This is not really where I shine. I need, I need no longer, a longer race to be able to to open up a gap and then hold on to it. And I feel also like the harder 
the longer it is and, and the, the better I am at, you know, grinding my, 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 my way through the end. And, and cause I'm, I'm, I might not be the fastest rider out there, but I have, uh, I have grit. I don't give up and I just keep pushing and I, and yeah, for example, Silk Road is, is, is a perfect race for me because it's going to, it's just going to throw everything at you. Uh, and as long as you just, you know, manage to just keep trucking, you're going to do well. You're going <laughs> to do well because so, so many people are just going to stop because they're just going to be so fucking destroyed by the race. Whereas, yeah, I mean, and if you look at, if you look at the people that did well in several mountain races, it's, it's not that they were fast. It's just that they kept trucking no matter what was happening. So, you know, Tour Divide is obviously next on your schedule. Um, I would have to assume you're thinking about it heavily, training for it heavily. What What is training for Tour Divide 2022 look like for you right now? So, yeah, I just I just did a race. Uh, so now I'm recovering from the race. Um, but, I mean, the, the, the preparation began uh, way back in the winter. I rode my I rode a lot uh, in January. Then I was in Colombia uh, in February and March, riding a lot as well. Riding at elevation, uh, doing a lot of of you know rough gravel um, in you know adverse weather conditions, very rainy, uh, cold, hot, everything you everything you can imagine. Um, then I came back from uh, Colombia, and then it was. You know, shorter rides, but a lot of intensity. I did a, a short, a shorter race in the north of France that was like 250k. That's just, so you just go all out for the for for one day, and it's just it's just a matter of you know mixing things up uh, with short intensity, and then um, yeah, the this race in Spain that was just like you know volume, and yeah, now Tour de is about a month away. It's like 40, 38, 40 days, something like that. So anything along, um, it's, it's, it's pretty much over. So it's going to be as soon as, as I'm, uh, I'm done recovering from the, from uh, the Spain thing, it's going to be, yeah, intensity. Most of, most of all. These, uh, like smaller events that you do, is that just to kind of like mix it up and keep it interesting? Um, it, does that motivate you when you're training to have those like little micro goals? It's, uh, usually I sign up for these things and I'm like, I don't think I have anything planned at that moment. So I could do this. And then the time comes, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to do this. Oh, shit. <laughs> and then he, sometimes it goes really well, uh, with, um, the race that I did in the, in the north of France, uh, 250k, so not really where I shine, but I was in really good shape and I managed to win this. And um, and then there was this the Spain thing a couple of weeks later, and um, yeah, it was not not what I was expecting, but you know I managed to get something out of it. And I mean the fact that I got eight hours of sleep in the middle, uh, it means that it also it's easier to recover from it. But and I don't really have a very um, calculated way of picking uh, picking my my events 
ahead of time. It's it's mostly like, oh yeah, I know that you know a couple friends are gonna do this, and oh this this looks fun, and I don't have much plan at that time. Oh and yeah, I told this guy that one day I was gonna race his race, and now it's coming up. Or oh yeah, this this event last year was fun. I could do it again. And and but it's not very calculated. I just uh, I just you know go as go with the flow you know you just ride your bike a lot yeah i mean that's how you train it's just you're just always riding your bike (laughs) it doesn't matter yeah yeah, pretty much i don't i'm not much for structured training it's it's i find it kind of kind of boring i mean i'm sure it's it's very effective but it's just not my thing well whenever you're as successful as you have been it would be hard to to change i would think you know i mean why if it's not broken why fix it i don't really see a reason to change i, I mean you're happy you're doing well like what why why rock the cart all right so obviously i don't think well i'll give you a chance to answer i would assume that your goal at tour divide is to break the overall record it is but uh as you know it's always uh depending on the weather yeah, that's what I um, want to ask you is like, is the weather the only, wh- that's the question. What is it going to take to to beat that record from you, for you to do that? Is is the weather the biggest barrier to, to making it happen? I would think, I would, I would say so. Uh, it's not like I have a huge margin over Mike Hall. Mike Hall was a beast and he set a record that is very hard to beat. Um, and I was... I was I I became aware that I had it in me to break that record only in 2019 when I was ahead of it. But to be honest, before I had no idea that it was possible for me to break it. Um, but I was there in, in 16 when Mike set the record, so I know uh, the conditions and what they were like, and I know they were good. We there was like no snow at all, not even like a, a, a on one single pass, like everything that was clear, um, there was no mud. There was there was no mud uh, towards uh, um, the Bannock Road. There was no mud at Brush Mountain. There was no mud in New Mexico. All the places that can get really really muddy and slow you down, they were just you know nice and fast rolling. So yeah, no, and and even the heat. It was not that hot in New Mexico, so pretty much everything was not perfect because it was. It could be a bit chilly and rainy at night, but this would not slow you down. So I know that the conditions were really good in 16. I was there, um, and since I don't have a really big margin, since I'm not like much stronger than Mike Hall, I, I would need the same conditions to, to get a, a shot at the record. Yeah. So if you have, let's say the weather is not great this year, how, how important, actually, let me ask this question. How important is that record to you? I mean, what are your own metrics of success on tour divide this year? So the story is in, in 2014, I rode the great divide mountain bike route as just, you know, a holiday. And I heard about the race at that time. And then I was, I kind of became obsessed with 
um, who were these people racing this this hell of a course? And at first, I was not doing well. And then, as as time went on, I I kind of got a hang of it, and I was doing better, and I managed to do big days. And and then somewhere in the middle, around Steamboat Springs, I was like, I want to come back here, and I want to race it. But the thing is, like, if I tell myself I want to race it, it's because I want to win it. I mean, I really didn't see the point of just racing it. For me, uh, um, even at that time when I was not a racer, when I had no racing experience, the only point of racing was to try to win it. Uh, and so it's been um, eight years now. It was 2014 and we're in 2022. And so eight years ago, I told myself I was going to come back, I was going to race it, and I was going to try and win it. And now then I know that I can win it, I need to do it. And actually the most important thing for me is not the record. It's just to win the grand depart. That's that's the most important thing. Um, because, you know, the record, it's not really in your hands. If you if you have huge huge snow year not 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 much you can do you know so i will be happy if i can just win the grand depart and yeah i mean once it's done if i manage to do it and if i don't break the record probably next year i'm gonna be like yeah it was nice winning it but you know i can break the record so probably (laughs) i should go back and break the record (laughs) But you know, first things first. My the the promise that I made to myself was just to win the Tour Divide, and it's you know sometimes I question it. Sometimes I like you made you made this promise to yourself eight years ago. At that time, you had no idea you were going to be successful in the sport. At that time, you had no idea you were going to win races that are harder. Than the tour divide races that are that have maybe more competition and you know i think for for observers of the sport if i go out and win the tour divide it's going to be like oh yeah sofian won another race <laughs> and it's and and well for well like for me it's going to be like this kind of massive achievement because it it dates back to eight years ago but it's just for me you know it's just like in my own head i mean for any observer of the sports it's it's just gonna be like yeah right so what's new yeah i think i think you're right we probably can be a little bit calloused uh to results in that way but it's why i like to talk to people and be like no i mean this this matters this is a journey that i've had in my heart for eight years. And, and, you know, the thing about these long distance events is like, you have to have your own personal internal motivation to go and, and do this for nine, 10, you know, whatever. Well, I guess tour divide would be close to like 15, 16, 17 yeah. days, but, um, you know, you have to have your own like internal drive, uh, to, to, to get you out there and to be successful. I don't, I don't know how anybody could only be motivated by like, let's say money or fame or whatever for 2,700 miles, you know? Yeah. 
It just it doesn't seem like a recipe for success on a long event, but actually it's it's funny because it's it's similar to Lal's experience on the on the AZTR when she attempted it in in uh, fifteen and had to pull the plug and then she came back this year and and she finished it and that's why it was so important to her you know right you know these races i mean for somebody that it's that is outside of you know lel's uh um mind she's like oh yeah lel just did an apt on the on the act what's new but you know then for us racers we put different uh, a, a different value on on some events depending on the history that we have with them and yeah there's gonna be a lot of pressure for me but it's like it's just pressure that i'm gonna put uh on myself you know because basically i feel i am now at a stage in my career where i don't have much to prove you know people know that i can win races people know that i'm strong and you know, if I fail or whenever I fail, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't change much. It's still, you know, it's still me. It doesn't take away anything that I've accomplished uh, away from me. But but for me, it's going to be like so much pressure because it's going to be like, all right, eight years in the making. Now is, now is the time to do it. Now is the time to not fuck it up. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be feeling that internal pressure. So, I mean, we talked about your 2019 run when you got uh, stranded on a mountain pass. Um, for anybody who hasn't, go back and I don't remember what episode number it was, but in 2019, it was actually pretty epic. Um, I was able to, like, you know, I'm watching your dot. You go up the mountain pass. You're, like, searching around on top of for a while and then eventually go back down to Brush Mountain Lodge and, and, uh, and cancel your race. And uh, so I actually like talked to you while you're at Brush Mountain Lodge, like a day or two after you quit, while the tour divide is going on. So, you know, from like a dot watcher standpoint or whatever, it was pretty exciting to like be able to talk to you and get that out while the race was still uh, going on. So that was a pretty uh, special interview that I still um, really stoked that we got to be able to do. But uh, my question for you is going into this year, how, if at all, does 2019 linger in your head? Will you be more prepared? Will you carry different gear? Do things differently? I don't know. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to get stranded on the same mountain now. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> a different one. <laughs> even if, if even if there's a lot of snow, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm probably just going to uh, carry just a, a, a simple, uh, um, uh, I don't know. I forget the word in English. Compass. Oh. Yeah, just a just a compass actually would have helped me because I would have been like, all right, this is this is the direction that where I'm supposed to go. Um, no, it's not. It's not really lingering in my mind. As I told you at the beginning of this of uh, this interview, I'm I'm really at peace with my decision at that time. I don't really think about it. You know, um, I'm like I know why I turned back. I turned back because it was no fun. It was just like, it was not why I, why I came for. Uh, I, I was like, all right, what am I supposed to do now? It's just like, it's, it's dangerous. 
Um, I'm willing to sacrifice a lot of things for uh, bikepacking races. I'm just not willing, like the ultimate frontier for me is I'm not willing to put myself in, in danger. I'm not willing to risk my life for this because it's not, it's not worth it, you know? And basically what happened is like, I was like, yeah, Tour de Vida is going to happen next year. Well, it didn't, but I was like, <laughs> but yeah, Tour de Vida is going to be here next year and the year after that. And then there's going to be a lot of Tour de Vida. And you don't have to do this now if you don't feel like it. You don't have to do this now if you feel like it's 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 uh, uh, it's putting you in danger. If it could actually, you know, maybe kill you, you don't have to do it. And I was like, all right, if I don't have to do it, I'm not going to do it. But no, I mean, I learned a lot during uh, this tour divide, and I learned a lot afterwards. Uh, three years of racing, I know a lot more about myself. I know a lot more about racing, and know a lot more about the strategies that I can implement. And I'm just looking forward to get back there and and do an even better job. And I'm like, if I can do it an even better job for the first half of the Tour Divide, then I will be I will be ahead of the record by even maybe just a, a couple hours more. And then it will be, you know, I will climb Sand Mountain, go down to Steamboat Springs and pass Steamboat Springs. I will be like, all right, now it's the second part. Now it's like I have I have done the first part. I need to do the second one and just get there and, and finish it. And I know, I mean, I raced it in 16, finished it in 16. Came in third. I know how to finish it. I know how to do well during this race, so I'm not afraid. I mean, I have a lot of experience, a lot more experience than I had three years ago. And, yeah, I just need to get the job done. Let me ask you this question on the topic of media. <clears throat> One of my personal dreams has been to go, uh, like, set up my van at the end of Tour Divide and interview people, like, right as they finish. Uh, I mean, it kind of is in this, I mean, obviously I won't be on the route, but, uh, as a, as a racer, what, what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you think, <laughs> do you think that would like, people would be like, Oh man, that's great. Yeah. Let's chat. Or people are like, you're not supposed to be here. This is, this is sacred ground, you know, like go away. I don't know. You're the first person I've asked. So I'd, I'm, I'd I'm be curious. happy to, I'd be happy to do an interview with you at the end of sort of it actually. Okay. I might be there I mean, then. <laughs> I mean, there's there's a, a a way that it's funny to to finish, and no one's there except for uh, uh, Jeffrey Sharp, which lives in uh, a cheetah and sometimes picks up razors. There's a way that is that is funny, you know. But I'm all for giving you my first impressions, you know. After I finished, I mean, uh, I I I like media. I like the attention. I like you know, just, uh, sharing. Yeah. Just, just telling, all right, this is how it went. This is how I feel. And I people are interested, you know, people yeah, want to know. Sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, or, or maybe, I don't know, maybe it's going to be so like, if I manage to, to do, uh, what I want and if I manage to win, Maybe it's going to be so important for me that I will be like, 
I'm sorry, dude, but I need this moment all by myself, you know. But even if I need this moment all by myself, pretty much I think after 15 minutes, that will be, <laughs> this moment will be over <laughs> and we'll need to move on. So, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, it could be yeah I mean, that's my approach to media. Like I would just sit there and if somebody wanted to talk to me, they could. And if they don't want to, you know, they don't have to. Um, all right. Yeah, I mean, I was... did it when, when I finished uh, at last mountain race, obviously there's a finish there, there's cameras, there's the race organizers, there's uh, uh, volunteers and you finish and, and you get your brevet card stamped and, and yeah, there's, you know, stuff happening and you do it, you know, and it's, 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 it's part, it's part of the race. And, um, yeah, it's part of that race, but it's yeah. it's it's like we talked about. I mean, the Tour Divide is kind of special, and you know, I want to be respectful of everybody's experience there. And so, I have my own personal, you know, debates about wanting to be uh, involved at an appropriate level, you know, yeah. and respect the athletes. Um, you know, that's the main thing. Just respect the athletes. Stay out of the way. If they want to talk to you, they want their picture taken, that's cool. If not, that's also fine, you know. But th- what I've learned is that people like to talk about their experiences and other people like to hear them for the most part, you know. Yeah, so. and I mean, <laughs> I, we also like to have souvenirs, you know. We also have to like memories. We also have to, we also like to have these pictures taken at the finish, you know, and these videos. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm fond of revisiting the memories of, of the end of such and such race. And, uh, and I'm glad there's this pictures of me holding my, my, my back up in the air or hugging someone, or these are moments that are meant to be cherished in the end, you know? And I mean, there's room for everything. I mean, you can be, you can be there and in, in, in your van and, and I know you're there and I'm just going to live my, my, my moment by myself for, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. And then when it's over and I'm like, all right, I did it. Then I can I can I can come and, uh, and and visit with you and tell you, well, this is how it went and this is how I feel. And 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 probably you know, in 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 ten years, I will be really happy to to listen to to the recording and be like, all right, yeah, this is how I felt. And and it's great that someone was there to capture this moment. But that's me. It doesn't mean that everyone's gonna is gonna like it. Hey, I only, I only asked you, I only asked you, I do feel lucky that I get to like catalog all these stories and they're just there, you know, people all over the world, anytime they want can just like pop it in and hear Sofian at Brush Mountain Lodge, you know, like days after coming off the tour divide, like that's just cool. I think that's cool. I love it. All right. Last question is about your helmet. It used to be kind of like a controversy. I think that you had to deal with. And I, I remember your quote, I asked you about it. And I thought it was great. You said, um, essentially, I, I think, I don't remember how old you were. You're like, I'm 35 years old. I've been riding my bike for 34 years. I've never wrecked and hit my head. You know, I don't, you know, logically, I'm, uh, you know, if you're looking at percentages, you know, I have a 100% chance of not hitting my head, kind of, you know, like yeah. history has taught me that I'm okay and stuff. So, what it, what is your current take on on the helmet? It seems like you're wearing one more these days. So last year I was uh, riding in Spain with a helmet, and I crashed and I like broke it in in I don't know two or three pieces and opened up a nasty cut on my head. 
and I was happy that I had one. And now it's just like, it became natural for me to wear one. And it's not that I changed uh, my take on helmets. I'm like really fine with anyone that doesn't want to wear one and like feels like they don't need one. It's just that after this happened, I do feel uh, more comfortable wearing one because, well, now that I know that it can happen to me, <laughs> I'm like, I might as well uh, protect my head. Yeah, might as well. It, I was just, I'm, I, I was just lucky that you know it happened when I was wearing one. Yeah, no, it was interesting to, I mean, not interesting, but um, I guess it only takes once, you know. And I've, I've personally gone back and forth with wearing helmets, not wearing helmets and, and you're common and I'm the same way. I mean, I've been riding a bike for 38 years and I've never crashed and hit my head. And so, and you know, our reflexes are that we're going to protect our head. I mean, that's the first thing we're going to do. Um, but yeah, like, you know, you, I've had Anna Claire Beasley on, I've talked to other people who like have had concussions or had really bad accidents and, it was a good thing that they had hel a helmet on. And I, I've kind of just landed on, sometimes I don't, it depends on what I'm doing, but I'd say 95% of the time, I just put a helmet on because you never know, you know, but I'm with you. It's like, anyone should be able to do whatever they want to do. It's the same thing. It's like, I, I don't think it should be controversial. It should just stay a personal choice. We shouldn't have helmet laws because I think they're kind of productive. And we shouldn't, you know, shame people that rather wear, won't wear their any, any sort of protective gear, you know? Um, yeah. It should just be like, if you want to wear one, just wear one. If you don't want, all right, that's, that's fine with, that should be fine with everyone. If you want to race AZT with the media crew, that's fine. If you don't, that's also fine. Yeah. <laughs> as long as there's an asterisk. Exactly. <laughs> And you should, and you actually, uh, you know, should be fine with the asterisk, you know, and you should understand. I, I think anyone that uh, uh, wants to have a say in this matter should understand that John Schelling had no, no other choice than to enforce a rule that was written down. Yeah. And I hope that he will decide to come on the podcast. Um, I've, I've expressed to him, but you know, my, my goal is only to talk, listen, and share other people's voices on this matter. I don't, I'm not the person that should be, I think, leading the discussion. I'm happy to host people who want to talk about it and want to add their perspectives, the value that they, they can bring to the conversation as athletes, race directors, volunteers, all this stuff. Um, but I, I hope I, I, man, I feel terrible. I don't like the way that this was handled at all. That's like the worst thing on everybody's just talking, uh, saying a lot of things without a lot of the facts or all the facts without being intimately aware and know Lael personally or know John Schilling personally or know what it takes to go win a bike packing race or, uh, or put on a bike packing race. I mean, there's so much. It's why, like, we talk about this stuff because people and situations are not binary. You know, we are complex. Things can be complex, and they're and they're worth 
talking about and not just accusing people. Don't accuse John. Don't accuse Lael without getting a chance to talk to him and, and understand, you know, where they're coming from is, is where I hope we can, we can go in that direction, you know? Yeah. And this is why I came on the show. This is because I, I've met Lael, I've met John, I've raced unsupported with crews, without crews. I, I know these matters. I've had time to reflect on these questions and I feel like, yeah, someone, uh, it was important that, that someone, a voice in the, in the community would, you know, stand up for the race organizers and stand up for the, for the, the ethos of the backpacking. And yeah, if there's one thing that I want to say to, to bring this to a conclusion is that I want to thank the race organizers because they are such a huge part of this community and we don't tell it enough how how much uh, their work um, and their dedication um, is just such an important important part of what we do and who we are as racers and as backpackers. Yeah, hundred percent. As a race director myself, I appreciate that. <laughs> I but it has given it's given me a lot of perspective on what it takes to put on it. Mine's only 380 miles, right? Like it's, it's a short, it's a very short race in this, in this sport. And it's, it, it's very, very challenging to put on and host and direct even a small event like that. Yeah. Put a little respect on the race director's name. I, I agree. Respect everybody, man. Respect. Why don't we lead with respect? Yeah, Just exactly. in general, you know, lead with some respect. Sorry, what, I cut you off. What were we gonna say? How many how many stupid e- emails do you get for every every iteration of your race? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. There's a lot of emails. There's a lot of yeah. That's a lot of what it is. I mean, once you yeah. have the route, it's just like managing. That's people. that's. I mean, that's time consuming. You have to. I mean, you get all sorts of of, of questions. Some are valid. Some are like maybe you should check the website or. <laughs> Or the race <laughs> manual, or whatever. This is why I, yeah, I usually refrain from asking any sort of question to to a race organizer. Uh, and if I do, I make sure that I've read the race manual twice because I, I know that you guys are getting just so many unnecessary emails, and you don't need one more. But that's yeah, that's a that's an ungrateful job. Yeah, it's 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 been interesting. I I really like it though, man. I mean, I'm I like the community of it. You know, I'm I like bringing people together. I like yeah, I like giving people an opportunity to do that. You know, it's like I I hope it's like my one of my contributions to the community is like giving people this opportunity to to come and do this. And um, yeah, it's just because I I enjoy it. I and I think. I mean, there's no way it's the same, you know, same thing for John or Matthew Lee or anybody else, Scott, who, who does these things, Tim Tate. I mean, there's so many people who are, um, spending an immense, and some of these routes like change every year, you know, like the Utah mixed Epic changes every year. It means he's always out there scouting. He's looking for ways to improve the route. All these things are happening completely free, just 
for a passion for bikepacking and a love for this community. And I couldn't, let's just be a little kinder to each other and acknowledge. Yeah, think twice before insulting somebody that, that, that does something for free for this community. A hundred percent. Let's leave it there, man. Yeah. It was nice talking I mean, to you, Patrick, as always. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time and thanks for uh, tackling this topic when so few people are willing to, but I'm not trying to be controversial. <laughs> I just want to give people a chance to talk and, and thanks for sharing your, your perspective. It was great. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Maybe I'll see you at uh, the finish line of Tour Divide uh, this yeah, year. It'll be a surprise, though. I won't tell anyone, I don't think. If I'm there, I'm just either going to be there or I'm not. <laughs> All right, buddy. Have a good one. Cheers, bye. Bye-bye. Okay, everybody, thank you so much for being here today. And again, a huge thank you to Sofian for coming on and having a thoughtful and uh, reasoned discussion about a very hot topic right now in our community. Sofian had some excellent points, and I really appreciate him being willing to come on and share those with us so that we can all learn, grow, and benefit from his words. All right, well, moving on, you know, next week's episode is going to be with Haley Moore, who just set a new FKT on the Ozark Gravel Doom Loop, or as Andrew Onerma, the race director, likes to call it, just Doom. I'm really excited to talk to her, and I think with all the FKT conversation that's going on. It'll be fun to get her perspective on on everything that's going on. It's a great story. If y'all haven't checked it out, I actually did an episode with Brent Stepanik, uh, God, episode 99, I believe. I went up there and did some media coverage of his FKT attempt at a distance. And then afterwards, we did a podcast. And so it'll be exciting to have Haley come on and talk about her experience in contrast to his. And also, she kind of smashed his time. No offense, Brett, but times are times. And uh, she put up a massive effort. So I'm really excited to talk to her. That episode will come out next week. And it'll be perfect timing because that weekend, next weekend, is going to be the Doom Race. It's the first Grand Depart there in Oark, Arkansas. I am going to be going up there. So if you're going to be there, I'm looking forward to seeing you. I will take your picture. I might stick a microphone in your face. Who knows? Things could get wild. But mostly, I'm just looking forward to seeing everybody up there. So if you're out there at Doom, come and holler at your boy. Looking forward to being out there in the woods with all you crazies. And uh, that's it. Until next week, get off the damn internet and go ride your damn bike. It was the middle of the night. You grabbed your knife and you held it tight. The sounds of beasts kept you awake. The sounds they made kept you afraid. In the morning, you packed your bike. Memories forgotten from the previous night. You rode faster than ever before. Was it your imagination or merely folklore? Fear turned into strength as you pushed further. Every pedal stroke stronger and firmer. Your bike feels weightless. Your legs aren't tired. You think to yourself just a few more miles. Bikes for death. Bikes for death.